0: Us. Romans thirteen. Let, let me explain why we're at where we're at. Um, we're doing a series through the book of Romans. You will remember we started with Romans one, which is usually where you start when you do a series in a book. Uh, we went all the way through uh, through Romans eight, then we took a break and we went right to Romans twelve because it was New Year's time, and we had a series called um, not a New Year's resolution, but a new life resolution. Then we went back and did Romans 9, 10, and 11. And since we did Romans 12 already, we're skipping to Romans 13. Have I lost anybody yet? Okay. Let me give you just a a brief reminder of what Romans uh, is all about. It's basically in three parts The first part, Romans 1 through 8, talks about the revelation of the righteousness of God, and the righteousness of God is the theme of the entire book of Romans, the gospel, the righteousness of God. Romans 9, 10, and 11 talk about Israelology, or the role of Israel in the righteousness of God. And the beginning in Romans 12, it's talking about the fact that now you know how salvation comes about, now you know the role of Israel, you need to know how to act. And so Romans 12, uh, all the way through the end of Romans 16, talks about the application of the righteousness of God. Again, we talked about Romans 12 before. This morning we're beginning in Romans 13 in a sec- section of Scripture that, in all honesty, is not the um, most exciting section to talk about. So if I see you yawning, it'll be all right. You won't um, you know, hurt my feelings. But we're going to be looking this morning at Romans 13, 1 through 7, specifically talking about our relationship to governing authorities boy isn't that an appropriate topic considering the situation of politics in our country today so um, unfortunately I cannot stand for a long time my leg is killing me I got some kind of nerve problem with a disc but if you would stand for the reading of God's word Romans 13 1 to 7 let every soul be subject to the governing authorities But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render therefore to all their due. Taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. You may be seated. I guess if I had to summarize this message this morning, it would sound something like this. Being citizens of heaven doesn't lessen our responsibility on earth. The believer is called upon to be the best citizen he or she can be, and the believer will have a high view of authority and will be submissive to it as a matter of conscience and a matter of action. Seems that an Idaho sheep rancher was approached one day by a stranger in a suit. He said, if I can guess how many sheep you've got, can I have one of them? Thinking it's pretty impossible for this guy to guess it, the rancher said, sure. And then the stranger said, you have 1,795 sheep. Stunned by the correct answer, the rancher told him to choose whatever sheep he wanted. And so the man selected an animal, slung it over his shoulder, and started to walk away. Well, the rancher called after him and said, hey, if I can tell you who you work for, can I have that animal back? Sure, the guy said. You work for the government. The government worker asked, how'd you figure that out? Well, the rancher said, put my dog down and I'll tell you. (laughs) Uh, Okay, one more. I'm in a funny mood this morning. A presidential aide said, Mr. President, I was wondering if it might be possible for my son to work somewhere in the White House. Of course, the president answered. What does he do? Well, the aide threw up his hands and said he doesn't do anything. Excellent note of the president. We won't have to train him. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. There's not much respect for government in America today, is there? Especially with all the political talk going around. And I think that's unfortunate at best and diabolical at worst. Because the believer is commanded. Commanded to be subject to his government. The text that I read moves from stressing what our individual responsibilities are to others to spotlighting how we are to respond to our government and its leaders. It says that we ought to have an attitude toward governing authorities that is the right attitude. We've been called out, if you will, of this world system, but we still live in this world system. And being citizens of heaven doesn't minimize our responsibilities here on earth. I've broken this section down into three parts. The first part is the principles of authority. That's verses 1 and 2. The second part is the purpose of authority. That's verses 3 and 4. And then the third part is the process of authority, verses 5 through 7. The words beginning in verse 1, I think, are as important as any that have ever been written on political thought and duties. Quote, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. That's a strong statement about the right of governments to rule and our responsibility to support them. But why? Why? Well, I think that the the next part of verse 1 answers the question, quote, For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Now, I know that's hard to take in in times like we have now, but let me repeat that statement one more time. There is no authority except from God, and those who exist are established by God. Human government is ordained and established by God. Warren Wiersbe said this, God has established three institutions, the home, the church, and government. Ordained means it's originated from God. In other words, it's his idea. Government is instituted under a divine authority, and human authority is derived from God's authority and its authority delegated in certain spheres of life. So we should say, as Yeshua did to Pilate in John 19.11, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. Pilate misused his authority to condemn Yeshua, but it was delegated to him by God. Those to whom submission is due... I believe we simply call governing authorities, governing bodies, rulers. It's a sweeping command that's written here in this scripture. It's more than just presidents, more than just Congress. It talks about all who are in positions of authority. It would include respect for local policemen. It would include respect for teachers. It would include respect for local councilmen. They have authority granted to them in certain spheres of life. Paul then adds that because God has established these governing authorities and delegated them to have authority over specific spheres of activity, that those governed by them must submit to them in those areas that they have been given responsibility over. And so whoever resists God's delegated authorities, as long as they're operating in their legitimate orb of responsibility, has opposed the ordinance of God. In fact, to submit is seen as resistance to God's, failure to submit is seen as resistance to God's principles and merits divine judgment, as we see in verse 2. They bring judgment upon themselves. Are there times when believers should not submit to governing authorities? Yes. I believe it's when governing authorities extend their authority beyond their delegated domain or sphere. For example, when the governing authorities told the disciples not to share the gospel, the disciples responded that they must obey God's rather than man's rule. You find that in Acts 5, verse 29. Governing authorities at that time had overstepped the area of authority that God had given or allotted to them. The disciples must obey God, the greatest authority, who authorizes, legitimizes, and limits the authority spears of those he puts in place. And these earthly authorities in Acts, the book of Acts, did not recognize God's authority or their invading of God's authority. They acted on their own. They thought that the power was theirs to wield. They beat, they tortured, they executed believers for following God's authority instead of their own Maybe we should ask right here, to what kind of government does God expect us to submit? Well, Paul wrote these words, remember, under a Roman rule that was becoming increasingly dictatorial, but he made no distinction that there was only one type of government to which the believer is to be submissive. It would seem that this is an all-inclusive subjectivity. But what, I hear you ask, Dennis, if the government's bad? Again, Paul was writing these declarations under a new edict that had made Christianity illegal. A new Caesar, Caesar Nero, had come to power. He was, best, he was the best-known fiddler in history. <laughs> oh, you don't, you'll have to look that one up. We're told throughout church history that after sentencing the apostle Paul to death, Nero went on a rampage. Persecuting believers, burning them in his garden, feeding them to the lions. Nero was diabolic, terrible, brutal and evil. Yet here, even Nero was in, even while Nero was in power, Paul says believers were to be subject to the higher powers, believing that there is no person in power but that God has not permitted him to be there. Now you might not respect the person who's in power. But you need to realize that God has allowed him or her to be there, even if it's a person as brutal as Nero. Remember, Yeshua had been crucified by this Roman government too. So why would God tell us to submit to every ruling authority? Because God has the ability to accomplish his will in spite of and even through less than godly rulers. Please remember God allowed a wicked king like Pharaoh to rise to power just so that his will might be accomplished. Romans 9, 7 states this, quote, For this very purpose I raised you up, to demonstrate my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. God establishes every authority. An example of this is King Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel, Daniel 2.21 says this, he removes kings and sets up kings. God has brought into being differing forms of government depending on what is best for that time and place in history. One of the values we try to teach our children is respect for authority. Tina and I believe that respect for authority begins at home. And the foundation of respecting parents becomes the basis for a child's learning to respect all other types of authority. Yet if I'm honest with myself, I must admit that there are times we send our children mixed messages about honoring those in authority. I'm sure our children have heard us repeating a joke or two about our political leaders or making disparaging comments about those who lead our country or our state, or our county. Let's be honest, our leaders are not perfect, and certainly we must hold them accountable to high standards of ethical and moral conduct. Still, we need to remember that those in power are there because God allows them that responsibility. Dear ones, when we honor our leaders, we ultimately honor him who holds authority over us all. So may God help us to show respect for leaders, even when we disagree with them. Even when we disagree with them. So having called for submission, verse 2 warns against rebellion against legitimate authority. Quote, Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring condemnation upon themselves. Those who refuse submission are in rebellion against what God has ordained. Those who incite defiance against the government, according to this scripture, will bring judgment upon themselves. God hates anarchy. To receive condemnation is worse than human punishment, for it's brought upon us by God himself. As Yeshua said in Matthew twenty-six fifty-two. all who draw the sword die by the sword. The principle, I believe, that's being taught here in the first two verses of chapter 13 is that God is the source of all legitimate authority, one expression of which is civil authority. What about the second part, the purpose of authority, verses three and four? Well, having established the duty of believers to submit to the government, the duties of government are established in verses three and four. It states that civil leaders who do what is right accomplish good. Quote, for rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. You see, God in his wisdom has established civil authority. Because man has fallen, civil order is necessary to keep man's sinful inclinations in check. Don't want to drive down the freeway having to constantly look in your rearview mirror? Obey the speed limit. I've heard that the last part of our body to get sanctified is our right foot. (laughs) You don't want to live in fear of getting audited by the IRS? Pay your taxes and don't cheat on your return. Government should support and encourage what is right. Nothing that is morally wrong should be politically right. And when authorities exercise their power for right, they faithfully represent the source of authority, their source of authority, and fulfill their, do- their duty. And this authority does not need to be a believer, as Nero was the governing authority at this time, nor even recognize the true source of their authority. But it it needs to reflect, if you will, the divine order and conscience of honoring good and punishing evil. Honoring good and punishing evil. If not, then in all actuality it delegitimizes itself. It separates itself from the sphere over which God has given them authority to act and rule. Civil authority is to act in accordance with the standard of good and evil as impressed upon man by our Creator God. God authorized governing authorities because mankind needs them. In many parts of the world when you walk into a food store to pick up a pound of meat and a gallon of milk you do so with the confidence that both items are free of contamination and that the label on the package is accurate. That's part of the role of government. That's part of what makes society run. That kind of product reliability, dear ones, was not developed overnight. One hundred years ago, you would have had no guarantee of either freshness or truth in labeling. But since then, governments have passed laws, and these laws help protect us, the consumer, by assuring the quality of products from food to perfume. They require standardized labeling and strict safety tests. Government is not all bad government was meant to be good and it's meant to be for our good When I think about laws like these I'm reminded that we should appreciate good government If we didn't have good government or if we didn't have government at all, you know what would reign? chaos Laws need to be enforced to safeguard the health and the well-being of all of us and in a day like our day, when government is often severely, brutally, and disgustingly criticized, please let us remember that, quote, there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Romans 13, verse 1. Where law does not exist, evil runs rampant. And even in countries ruled by cruel and evil dictators, there is still a measure of established order. Verse 4 declares that the authorities are to be God's servants for good and act as his punisher for evil. Quote, for it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, and avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Quote. In a way, you could call the state God's servant because it encourages the good and punishes the evil. And I believe that believers are warned to avoid public evil because God has given the state authority to use the sword. And since it is God's servant who bears the sword, it excludes arbitrary and indiscriminate uses of power apart from the cause of justice. Civil rulers have the responsibility to execute justice, and citizens must, according to these verses, submit themselves to government rule. Civic responsibility is a necessary expression of discipleship. Civic responsibility is a necessary expression of discipleship. And governments... They should order structure and order civil society to reward people who are acting in the proper way, people who are acting properly, as defined by God. And they should also punish evil, as defined by God. You see, God has always retained the authority to define good and evil behavior. Amen? Amen. And if the state doesn't fulfill the reason it was created for but actually contradicts it, the way is open for questioning it, even justified revolution. If right and evil are not are no longer legitimately addressed, I believe that the state loses its legitimacy for taking action. If God ordained rights and liberties are not only denied but taken away, then the state has ceased to fulfill it's god ordained function and as justice collapses i believe that the body of messiah is obligated to devo- to voice its criticisms of the government they need to point out where the state has deviated from god's word we as believers are not to be blind we're not to be docile we're not to be floor mats We are not to be unconcerned in our submission to the state. We have a duty to do what's right, but also a duty to make sure our governing bodies do what's right. And so finally, we come to the third section, the process of authority, verses 5 to 7. And so in bringing this section to a close, two reasons are given in verse 5 as to why believers must be in submission to the state, quote, Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. Wrath and conscience' sake. The first reason is pretty easy to understand. It's given as to why the believer must be in submission to the state. It's because of the threat of punishment. Who wants to go to jail? Who wants to be fined? And so on. Submission to the state, however, and I think most importantly, is also a matter of conscience. The believer, because of God's word, can have a clearer understanding of the state and its actions if they simply do what is right. That understanding is the guide for all of us in our attitudes and in our traditions toward authority. And so the the question needs to be asked, I think, What constitutes the limits of government? How far can our governing authorities go? Under what circumstances should a believer disobey the law? And there have been many different answers over the centuries. But on one point, they all agree. When the claims of earthly authorities conflict with divine authority over faith, conscience, and practice. Believers must obey God rather than men. Peter says this in Acts 5.29. It was also true of Daniel. It was true when Peter and John were ordered to stop preaching about Yeshua in Acts chapter 4. Obedience to rulers when they go against God's word or conscience makes the state into an idol. For God not only tells man to submit to authority, but tells states to. To submit to him. If their power for ruling is from God, authorities are obligated to submit to the authority which authorizes their authority. Rulers are to be, quote, God's servants or ministers for good. And because civil authority is established by God, submission in verse 6 entails such practical duties as paying taxes. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God devoting themselves to this very thing. And since government is ordained of God, unfortunately, we are obligated to provide support for its operation. By the way, that's not a new notion. The taxes and tithes in the Hebrew scriptures were meant so that the priests could perform their duties in their civil and religious responsibilities to the children of Israel. I lost my place. You may not like how much you're taxed, but you can't argue with the principle of taxation. Government must build roads, sewers, bridges, provide armies, supply armies, equip and and finance firehouses, city halls, policemen, and the list goes on. And government is in trouble when half the people get the idea that they don't have to work because the other half will take care of them and the other half feels it does no good to work because so much of what they earn is taken away from them. Oh, let me say that again. Government is in trouble when half the people get the idea that they don't have to work because the other half will take care of them and the other half, it feels it does no good to work because so much of what they earn is taken away from them. Verse 7 summarizes the duties of submitting to authority. Quote, Render to all what is due to them. Tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. The items stated here are all classified as obligations. Why? Because authority is ordained by God and submission entails practical duties. Yeshua's answer about paying taxes is found in Matthew 22, verses 16 to 22. And I forgot to mark it, so bear with me. Matthew 22, verses 16 to 22. And they sent sent to him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God in truth, Nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to the United States? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Yeshua perceived their wickedness and said, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. So they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And he said to them, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. Caesar had his image on certain things and they rightly belong to him. God has his image on man who rightly belongs to him. And so in closing, I would ask this question. Should we respect government? Yes. Why? Because God established government. We are to submit ourselves to civil authorities over us and we are to pray for them. We are to pray for them. I don't care if you're a Republican, a Democrat, a socialist, a progressive, an independent, or I don't know what I am, it depends on what day of the week the photo op is. We are to pray for our leaders. We are to submit ourselves to civil authorities over us and pray for them. We need to respect them and honor them. However, our ultimate authority is God, who is Lord over all human governments. And when it comes to a clash between civil law and God's law, God's law wins. And we need to be ready to suffer the consequences of the decision to follow him. As believers, we have a responsibility, by the way, to make our state and country better. And I believe in this country, we can do this politically by electing high-principled leaders, whether they are believers or not. And we can also do this morally by serving as an influence for good in our society. It's said that as Benjamin Franklin concluded a stirring speech On the guarantees of the Constitution, a heckler shouted and said, Ah, them words don't mean nothing at all. Where's all the happiness you say it guarantees us? Franklin smiled and replied with this, My friend, the Constitution only guarantees the American people the right to pursue happiness. You've got to catch it yourselves. Corrupt politics and bad politicians can certainly make us cynical about our government. This could tempt us as believers to neglect our responsibilities as proper citizens. The believers in Paul's day may have felt that way too. They lived under an increasingly hostile Roman government. Yet Paul gave these practical ways to respond. First, submit to God-ordained leaders so that the gospel may be advanced. Second, pray regularly for leaders. Third, do good and live godly lives. Fourth, pay your taxes. And fifth, trust in God's sovereignty. Charles Colson says that we must put our faith in God, not in the political process. God calls us to make a mark on our government. We should vote when it's our right and resist only when the government interferes with our obedience to God. Somebody has well said this every nation gets the government it deserves. Is ours getting better or worse? I read this from the devotions in the devotional series called Our Daily Bread. Active citizens of the heavenly kingdom must not be passive citizens of the earthly kingdom for the public business of the nation is the private business of every citizen. And I want to close with the reading of this scripture from first Timothy two verses one to four. Therefore I exert, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men for kings and all who are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence for this is good and acceptable in the sight of god our savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth let us all say together amen